Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to Made to Think with your host, Ninjam. I am going to be doing a brand new segment now, which is called Esoteric Ego. Um, so the first one is about the pyramids and what I believe is the true purpose of the pyramids, which I initially learned from my conversation with the wise old man called Hakim, who's an absolute legend in, in Egypt, which you heard in the last podcast. So I was fortunate enough to meet Hakim, who has wested, um, in, in our words, that means he passed away. So God bless him. But I, I'm very fortunate. He could be probably one of the most important people that I could ever meet in my life, just because of the amount of wisdom that he is he's retained from thousands of years. You know, the same way that secret societies passed down information, this guy was part of a tribe and they've kept their knowledge very much intact by passing it down to mothers, mothers passed it down to their children. Now, the thing that makes Hakim so special, one, he was on the pyramid called Discovery Channel, um, which is bizarre because after I came back from Egypt, I tried to get in contact with him, but there was nothing about him on the internet. And I started thinking about, you know, was it a dream? Did I even meet this guy? It was just so bizarre. But I wanted to say thank you to him because what he did to me in, in Egypt, he showed me that there's real magic in the world. And he showed me that these things in Egypt are not just temples and tombs, they're, so, they're energy devices. And if you know how to take the energy from them, you know how to send it wherever you want. A bit like, you know, you think positive and you, you, you attract positivity. So I, I found out that he'd wested. So I, I wanted to do a great honor because, um, yeah, he gave me just whatever he did, he gave me enough time to get home and say um, goodbye to my mother. So I was one day at home and I was flicking through the TV. Um, just as you do on cable, you know, I could have been on any, any channel and I flicked over to Discovery Channel and I saw Robert Baval, who I also met in Egypt and he was one of my heroes. And Robert was talking about pyramids. Anytime I used to see a TV channel about Egypt or pyramids, I'd just be obsessed. I just wouldn't go to work. <laughs> Stop everything. I was so obsessed. And then I'm watching this TV show. I didn't know it was the Pyramid Code because it had already started. And they're talking about things and it went right over my head. And then... About 10 minutes later, I see a clip and there he is, Hakeem, wearing his little hat. And I thought, fuck, that's the guy. That's that magician guy, the, the wise man, you know. Um, and uh, I just couldn't believe it. And I thought, I remember Robert Baval telling me at the pool, how did you meet this guy? I said, I don't know. I just randomly bumped into this guy in a perfume shop and he took me because of my tattoo. And, and he said, I really want to meet this guy. He, he's very hard to get hold of. So... Robert Baval was like an archaeologist, um, very, you know, some people called him mainstream, and he'd been hearing, you know, he's, he's a very famous guy. I've been to some of his house that he now wants to go to, and he doesn't know where he lives. I just said, I know he lives in Cairo, and he'll know you can see the Sphinx from his house. So, yeah, it was special. So I saw him on this TV show, and I thought, finally, they've got together after I met both of them. And um, it turns out, I, I did a bit of research on that, that they never actually met each other, but they were in the same program. So what I also found out that was Hakim's theories were very much neglected by the likes of Graham Hancock and Robert Baval. So I've got two absolute heroes there that I love, but I'm also aware that they, they have a certain trend and a certain way to tell a story that I, I don't fully agree on, but I'm very interested in the way they present it. What I am interested in is trying to explain to you and download and process what Hakim was telling to me. And, you know, for a virgin mind that only knows what it's told at school, it was fucking ridiculously hard to digest. But luckily for me, 
I was able to shake off. You know, the great um, philosopher also says um, to learn, you first must unlearn. There's nothing more true than that. So what Akeem did to me was a little bit of a elicitation, which means he explained something that made a lot of the missing pieces fit together. A bit like a clarification that wasn't going fucking insane. So how did it start? Well, I sat down with him. And I remember him, he floated into the room wearing this robe. It was almost like his feet weren't touching the ground. And we start smoking some shisha. And, uh, you know, he, he made me feel very welcome. But then he had this, like, psychic ability to know that my dad had died. I, I, I puked up when he said that. So it was, like, such a powerful statement. And it was almost like I was scared. I, 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 I was sick. When I sat down in my own puke, I was worried that I'd have to, uh, you know, clean me fucking pants Later, as it turns out, when I got back to the hotel, I remembered, oh, shit, I, you know, I, I sat in my sick. There was nothing on my pants. So I started going a bit crazy. Then I thought, Did I, was I sick? You know, uh, was I smoking something? Did he did he, uh, did he get me mashed up? But anyway, um, he told me, like, then he told me that my mum was sick and he was going to send her some energy. So he said to me that the Sphinx is not called the Sphinx. It's actually called Tefnut. And what Tefnut meant was something had been spat from the sky and landed on the ground. And to me, that sounded like a spaceship. Uh, don't lose me yet. I'm not fucking crazy. So now you have the original um, Sphinx was never a Pharaoh's first. That that was obvious by John Anthony West's Serpent in the Sky book. Uh, what John Anthony West showed the world was that the erosion on the outside of the um, the thing that surrounds the Sphinx has got water erosion on it. And it, and it predates our mainstream date of the um, of the Sphinx, which is said to be like 2,000-something. But actually, it's, it's now been dated back 12,000 years, as have the pyramids. So when you look at the Sphinx, and I've been there, I've seen it, I've had a really good you know, close-up of it. It's obvious that the head was recarved later, probably by the likes of Ramesses, because he, he chewed up everything. He was like a graffiti artist. He came into Egypt, just took over the matriarchal system and made this new patriarchal system, built giant statues of himself because that's what these dictators do, and they're still doing it today. So imagine that the Sphinx was actually uh, a, a, a giant lion, which could symbolize Leon. And, and if you think about Leon, Leo, Leo, sorry, um, if you wanted to tell somebody that you just landed on this planet and you built something where it would represent the sky, if you wind back this, the star clock to the age of Leo, it also fits the same time bracket as the dating by John Anthony West, which is 12,000 years ago. So that makes a lot of sense to me. If you come from another planet or whatever, you land on this planet accidentally maybe, you look up at the sky and there's Leo. All right, I'll build something here. I, that's... That makes a lot of sense, right? So there you've got Tefnut, okay? So that the name's not Sphinx. And according to Hakim, Tefnut is some kind of energy device that fires energy all around the world. Now, what we've got next is that what, um, what Hakim was a big uh, follower of, or that was his thing, was chemotology. And the Kemets were these people that built, apparently built, the pyramids. So Kemet was the old, um, the old religion, the old area that landed in Egypt before it was actually called Egypt. Its original name was Buwiza. That was the area, and the Ur Nil became the River Nile. 
And why do people settle there? Maybe because their spacecraft, a spacecraft uh, landed, or they came there because the, the land was so fertile. I'm I'm going to go out of the box. I'm going to say that there were some form of alien life form that came down. If you look at the statues of Akhenaten, all the ancient statues of the Egyptians, even in the museum, they've all got the giant heads. They look a little bit. Um, <laughs> I won't say that yet. Um, okay, so in this in this Boo Wizard, there was forty two tribes, and um, they all spread out all around this this land, and they were they were building it up slowly. And what Hakim was telling me that there was five cycles, and that's the cycle of the day. So the first cycle was the dawn which was called the Kepa. And then you had uh, the next cycle, which was Ra, which meant stubborn. You know, when like the day is sort of coming alive, it's getting hot. And then you had the third, which meant the Un, which meant wise. And then the Aten meant wiser. And then the Amun meant hidden. That's when the night turned from day. So they used to, the Kemets used to, um, they would worship the cycle from day to night. And, and, you know, they would make sure they could do as much as they could in that day. And the sun was their worship and the night as well. So now where I remember him telling me, he's like, what do you think the pyramid is? And I said, well, uh, they tell us it's a tomb. And he said, I prove to you now that it's not a tomb. And how did he do that? Well, they have these, these five pairs, they call pair. And they're like symbols which they would put onto, onto certain um, tombs or temples. And when you know how to read hieroglyph, you would see the pair something, and that would tell you what the, what the purpose of that that uh, temple was. So uh, Hakim could speak Sufi, which is where you got philosophy, and Sufi was the language of the Kemets that were from Berwiza. All right, before we even knew, we even changed it to Egypt, and then Arabic came along. So the per ah meant the high house. The per ka meant the tomb house or burial house. A per bar was a temple house of prayer, meditation, or ritual. The per nita was a house of energy. And the Greeks actually got the word nature from nita, right? It's where nature comes from. And then there was a per weir, which meant the house of the wise man. So the evidence in the pyramid, which uh, Hakim has seen, shows that, that there's a symbol on one of the walls, in, the, in many of the walls in the temples all around the, the pyramids, there is a symbol that says Peranita, which says the pyramid is a house of energy. If it was a house of burial, it would have been a per car and it would have had a different symbol. You can see that in the pyramid code. It's right there, he shows you, right? One of the things he taught me is that while you're in Egypt, don't just look. He says, you need to really look with your third eye. And um, I remember him, one of, the, one of the things is when you walk around in the sand, put your hand deep into the sand and, and reach under and see what you feel. And I was pulling all this black soil, which was not far, not that deep under the sand in some places, but you could find all this deep black soil. And he said that was from, that was some incident that happened on an atomic scale. It was fragments of all this shit that just blew up. Um, I'll get into that in a sec. So 
we've got evidence there now. Go and watch the Pyramid Code, four parts on YouTube. It will blow your mind, and, and he goes into it in a lot of detail. But that's when he said, you're right. If you don't believe it's a tomb, that's where now you can start unraveling what the pyramid really is. If you want to say it's a tomb, I won't even bother listening to the rest of this. It's just a waste of time. But if you want to open your mind and go down this road, then give it a shot because it is absolutely amazing. So what I've uh, what I've found out over time, and you know, I've read sort of thousands of books about engineering, mechanics, ele electronics, all kinds of shit, just to try and get the the technical side. You got to understand the theory about it and how how this could actually work. And you know, trying to explain it is um, you, you do need to open your mind a little bit. So bear with me. So what the pyramid actually is, and this is where the guy took me to Hakim's house because of my tattoo, which meant the Jewat in my eyes. But that guy told me it meant double harmony. Now, Hakim looks at me and he said, the pyramid is a coupled oscillator. And I was like, all right, I remember something about that at school. A coupled oscillator is like, it's a positive and negative charge. And what it does is the, the pyramid, you see it on top of the surface, but there's actually a lot more of it underground. And it's drawing magnetic energy from the ground. So you have you have this um, point of contact that would reach one of the geomagnetic acti activity uh, active areas on the world. And if you watch Star Trek, I've been watching Star Trek in chrono chronological order recently. Every time they go down to a planet, they scan the planet and they look for geomagnetic energy. And then that shows them that this could be volcanic, it could be natural, it could be man-made, but that's the first thing they scan in a planet, right? So if, uh, if these aliens come into our planet, they would have been scanning the same because they need that energy for this device. So you've got this pyramid, which is as above, down below, and that's connected to a seismic um, uh, base underground. So as the, as the Earth, uh, you get the shock waves from seismic movement underground, that energy gets sent all around the world. It's almost like the, the Earth's got a, a nervous system that's all connected. So that would vibrate. And then if you can find a way to channel that charge up, up into a device, and then you can process that energy, which is what I'll explain. This is the pyramid's job is to process all this energy into microwave energy. All right. I'll get, I'll get to that in a sec. So interestingly, when I was in Egypt, I noticed there was tons of these like, um, tunnels underground a lot of them you could use, used to be able to peer into and you could see like really really deep down and then you could see water at the bottom and it seemed like they were all connected there was what these water shafts all over the place i was lucky to go down a couple of these uh tunnels just like off off the beaten track with a couple of really cool tour guys you know 300 quid or something and they were deep they were super deep and you couldn't breathe at the bottom so what hakim said when he was a kid he used to go playing in these tunnels and he, he'd been down, he, he said he'd, these tunnels were like a beehive underground, right? Um, imagine like honeycombs and that you could, you could cross all the way through under the desert. You could go from um, one pyramid site to another pyramid site if you had access. And that's the problem in Egypt now. It's who you know and who's got access to the, 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 the temples. You, you have to pay a lot of money or you have to know somebody to get access. So the rest of the world just reads shit on TV or watches shit on TV and reads shit in the news. It's all false, I'm telling you now. you got to go and look with your own eyes. So there's two specific water channels that run around the pyramid area. And they were called the Asgat Nefer 
and it meant the two waters of Foth and of Horus. So what would happen is water would enter from the Nile, which was lunar. It was it was charged by the sun. Um, it was negative and it was feminine. And then underground, the 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 it would be solar. Oh, sorry, sorry, hang on. The Asgat Nefer, meaning the two waters, Foth and Horus, the water would enter from the Nile, which was lunar. So it was charged negatively from the moon, I said the sun, and it was feminine. And then you had an underground tunnel, which was powered by the sun, so it was solar and it was masculine. So what would happen is these two tunnels would come down into the bottom of the pyramid. If you actually look at a 2D picture on the internet of the pyramid, you'll see there's like a little... Um, a little space underground and these two shafts that go down into it. Um, so what happened would the two waters would meet there and then because they were charged both positively and negative, they would cause like a fusion and it would create what's like a natural ramp pump where the water would bang together and it would lift the water up into the next section of the pyramid, right? It's called a ramp pump. Just check it out how it actually works. So then what would happen is you've got, positive and negatively charged water that's moved now into the queen's chamber and i've been in there and i was looking around and it, this is the place where uh ganton brick sent this robot up a shaft now i used to believe in this story that these shafts would point to stars like orion's belt but that's all bollocks they weren't shafts to go out they were shafts to bring in chemicals so we know this because this, they found the when they sent this robot up a shaft, they found a door and they found what are obviously like electrodes on the door and electrodes are used to like control the amount of flow. So as this uh, as the liquid would come down, it would open this, this shaft up and down and let more of the liquid through. OK, so they've also found they found a lot of salt resin around the, this uh, queen's chamber and salt is from chemicals like that have, that have been removed it's like the you know the leftovers so in one of the shafts would come this diluted hydrochloric acid which would then mix with hydrous zinc solution and that would create a chemical reaction in the queen's chamber which allows the separation of hydrogen and oxygen from the charged water <laughs> right and I, i've walked around the pyramids when you know this and you go around the pyramid, it makes you wonder, ah, that's why there isn't any actual steps. Because if people were working in there, they'd need a platform, right? Or if they, were, if they were moving stuff around there, you'd need somewhere to climb it naturally. But that was all handmade later, man-made later. So then you've got these electrodes. Like I said, there was this video footage of them sending this robot, and they put a camera behind it, and it shows these eroded electrodes on this shaft. There's no way, there's no other reason why they would be there except to allow the flow of chemicals. So then what would happen is the hydrogen that was separated from the oxygen, it would then pass through into the grand chamber. And this is a massive, massive undertaking. These, some of the bricks in there, giant granite black stone, and they, they weigh more than like 10 cars. It's just incredible. So they, you know, anything with big stone for me, it's to withstand a lot of heat or pressure. So what, what, what would happen here now? The hydrogen comes into the grand chamber and it would be resonating, all right? It would be resonating with like acoustical harmonic resonance, which amplifies and intensifies the hydrogen. So it, it basically, the, 
the shafts inside the grand chamber would act like a Hemholtz resonator. And what a Hemholtz resonator is, the most simplest way to explain it, is when you blow into a bottle, an empty bottle, and it makes that noise like, so this hydrogen is being pressurized and it's creating vibration. It's turning vibration into sound. And then the sound would blast through into the king's chamber. And what would happen then was there would be a clean implosive reaction in the grand chamber, which would basically create endless power. It's an implosion instead of an explosion. And, you know, we explored or burn things on this planet because everything on this planet is, is super light. On other planets, a lot of things are dense, so you can't burn, right? Now, what you've got here now, you've got, a giant device that's taking free energy from the ground and turning it into um, an implosion reaction. And what happens then um, is the hydrogen would turn into microwave, right? So you've got these netters, per netters, that are used to create endless energy, which just resonates. And once you turn it into a microwave, you could basically beam this energy anywhere around the world. You could especially beam them to obelisks, right? Doesn't that make sense? You look at the Eiffel Tower, it's got a body of water and it's got an obelisk on the other end. The Eiffel Tower is a tower and the obelisk is a tower and you've got the Tesla Towers. So what the Tesla Towers are for me, in my opinion, are the um, Yakin and Baals. Those are the two uh, columns from Solomon's Temple, which are very much in Freemasonry. And I think that they are the Tesla coils. And why does Tesla come into this? Because I found this crazy video about Tesla replicating the pyramid to create his tower in uh, just outside New York. And if you look at that, go into, go into the internet and Google it. It was the same height as the pyramids. And he had a shaft going down into the ground. And he was said that he was sending energy from that tower to the Eiffel Tower. Right? And then guess what? Paris was the first city in the world that turned gas into electric. And it was Edison using Tesla to create the first um, city of lights. And he said to Tesla, I want you to build me a, high gen a low generator because he was a tight ass. He didn't want to pay for the electric. I want a low generator, but I, want, I wanted high arc lighting. And Tesla said, I'll give you a high, a high generator and all the lighting you want for free. And Edison didn't like that because he wanted everybody to pay for it. So you imagine if you lived in a world with free energy. Just think about it, right? So guess what? In, in, just as an example, in Vietnam, we've just had this um, landmark 81 built not, not so long ago. And I know somebody that was part of the project. And I just randomly asked him in a pub. I said, look, I know you helped to build it, but can I ask you, did you build the underground and did you have anything to do with the tower on the top? And he said it was two different companies. So you see how it could be compartmentalized. So that is a tower in Vietnam pumping power around on a certain system. We're still using the old system and we're paying for it, right? And now you've got all these electric cars, which is like, oh, hang on, you could charge cars all around the world wirelessly and nobody would know about it. But just to give you a little bit more juice, there's two, statues of two pyramids at the bottom of the landmark. Why else would they be there, right? It's just insane. So imagine, imagine if the world was iced up and you've come down from another planet 
and you're, all you're interested in is water, right? And you remember there's an old TV show called V. I actually went back and rewatched V. And there's a scene in that where there's a spaceship over the top of the Hoover Dam and it's just pumping water out. And you think that Egypt used to be full of water and now it's a desert. So where did all the water go, right? So if they come down, imagine the world's full of ice and they needed to build something to melt the ice using microwave energy, that, that could have been one way they'd have done it, right? The actual full function of the pyramid is still a bit of a mystery, but they were they were 100% a power energy device and they were connected all around the world to every single temple. They're now finding all these underground temples and all these connections using LADAR, this new you know radar system. So we're all told one story, but the reality is they were so advanced back then and it's all been covered up. Why? Because whoever has access and knowledge of how to control the power, as Westinghouse put it, he who controls the rings, the Lord of the Rings, controls the world, all right? Without power, you're screwed. So that's my honest uh, evaluation. Having been inside the pyramids, having read tons of stuff, I've got a big, a massive shout out to Christopher Dunn. If you want to know a lot more about this, Christopher Dunn's two books are absolutely epic. And also Stephen Melher, who was a student of Hakim, who also opened up all of this, um, all these little bits and pieces for me. Um, but check this out. If you go to some other areas around the pyramids, there is um, there is evidence, like go to, I think it's Saqqara, one of the corners of the pyramid is missing. And they said that there was like robbers that came and took it away. That's bullshit. What happened was there was in, I told you about the burn marks inside the, the grand chamber in the last episode. So there was obviously some kind of explosion. Maybe this, it was just a nuclear power plant or some kind of energy device that blew up. It overpowered, it was overused, too much, you know, too much greed. Something's happened in there and it's exploded and it's caused like a domino effect. And all the pyramids that you see surrounding, you can see how they've blown from the inside out, right? And now there's, there's evidence of all this stuff under the, under the deserts as well, like this black dust. So they, they've obviously not been bombed because they would have been damaged on the outside. The damage has come from the inside. So they, they, they got shut down. And if this thing is powering the earth, or sending energy around the world, or keeping the earth hot, or just used like to to um, to communicate to another planet. If that fucks up, my guess is everybody died out, and those that survived would have been the the only people who had the knowledge. So, interesting thing when I go back to what I said about the Sphinx. If the Sphinx used to look like a lion, it would have been a baby lion, and that's Babylon. All right. So now we have London and London's real name is actually uh, the new Troy, but it's also said to be called Babby London. You get it? I'll see you later. Have it large.